going on, everybody? Welcome back to Blue Box Nerd. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for joining us on this epic journey. I'm your animated host, Anthony, and each week we'll be bringing you some deep dives and intelligent discussions on everything nerd, from movies to TV shows and everything in between. We cover it all. So hit that like button and get subscribed so you don't miss anything. Today we will continue with episode 2 of The Last of Us. I know we're a few weeks behind on posting, but we'll get caught up soon, don't worry. My goal is to have uh, one of these episodes waiting for you each week after you watch the full episode on HBO. If you haven't seen the last episode, I strongly recommend that you go watch that one first because there's a lot of character development and story beats that you need to understand going forward to understand the story. As always, we don't spoil anything that will be upcoming in the story, but we will be discussing the episode scene by scene. So if you haven't seen episode two of The Last of Us, this is your spoiler warning. Uh, please go watch that first and then come back and we will discuss it in nerdy detail. So this week we start out in Jakarta, Indonesia in 2003. And if you notice, the date is just a few days before the outbreak. So you can see how fast uh, this thing is uh, escalating in the early days. Now, after a few overhead drone shots of Jakarta, we go to the street level where we see our scientists eating lunch and being interrupted by some military personnel. Uh, it looks like the uh, Indonesian military is there to pick her up, and they actually escort her uh, to a local laboratory in the area. Now, on the way, she begins to ask questions as to why she's being detained. She asks if she's under arrest or, or you know, if she's being charged with a crime. And then it is revealed that she is actually a professor of mycology, one of the top scientists in her field, and she specializes in fungus or fungi. So she's obviously being recruited here, uh, quote-unquote recruited, uh, due to her knowledge of the cordyceps virus. Now you can see the urgency uh, in these military guys because they're, they're walking fairly quickly and she's having a hard time keeping up. So you can see that there's something very urgent. Now, when she arrives in the lab, uh, one of the other scientists approaches her with uh, what seems to be some of their hypothesis of what, what's going on. And the military agent uh, stops her and pretty much says that she will draw her own conclusions. He wants an unfiltered, unbiased conclusion from this scientist to see if, if what the other scientists are saying is true. Now, when she looks through the microscope, she notices that it, it is, in fact, cordyceps. Uh, but she notices that the slide wasn't prepared uh, the same way that a slide would have been prepared for cordyceps. Uh, and sh they tell her that they pulled the sample from a human specimen, which is currently in 2003 uh, impossible. Uh, so she, she very confidently looks at him and says, you know, cordyceps cannot survive in humans. And this is when he gives her the look of, this is exactly where we got it from. So they let her in to see the human specimen where the cordyceps was pulled out from. And what she encounters is something that she was not expecting. It is actually a female. And uh, sh the first thing she notices is that she has a bullet wound in the head. Now she goes to further inspect the the cadaver here, the, the corpse. And uh, she realizes that she has a bite mark on her left leg. And when she cuts it open, she sees that it's a fairly severe cordyceps infection to the point where it's almost not even human anymore. It's almost completely cordyceps fungi. 
and the weight of this moment, you know, it, it hits her like like a ton of bricks, and she realizes that she's holding now in her hand an infected scalpel. So you can see where she almost, you know, tries to get away from it by tossing it, uh, and then she immediately leaves the room. She disconnects from the air uh, that she's being fed through a tube, and then she just runs out of there. Now afterwards, you know, they bring her some tea, try to calm her down, you know, you can tell that she's had some time to kind of reflect, and, and uh, she's very horrified. You could see it in her face. There's something very wrong. Uh, she starts asking questions about the cadaver, and they tell her that it all started in a grain factory, uh, which, if you guys remember from the last episode, even from the beginning of the episode, you see that Joel and his daughter are actively avoiding uh, grain-based foods the entire episode. So e even going as far as saying he was on Atkins when the man offered him some biscuits and, and he was feeding the lady the biscuits. So uh, that kind of tells us that maybe the grain in that biscuit was infected and that's where she contracted it. Uh, if you guys even remember, there was a scene uh, where they were eating breakfast and uh, Uncle Tommy asked them if they were not going to eat pancakes because it was Joel's birthday and um, him and Sarah ended up eating just eggs and bacon. And also, if you remember, they never ate birthday cake because Joel forgot. And Sarah didn't eat the cookies that the neighbor was making because they had raisins in it. So they were, they were actually dodging bullets left and right the whole entire episode uh, from being infected. In the game, they also mentioned that it started with grain, and that is how it spread to the population at large, but they never really go into a lot of detail, so I'm glad uh, they, they kind of show us a little bit of the background here and the science that went into uh, the diagnosis and, and you know, where, where everything originated from. This is when they really tell her the real reason why they brought her here, and it is to find a cure, to find a vaccine for her to help them stop this from spreading and she has one of the grimmest reactions that any scientist could have when she's asked what can be done and she tells them that the vaccines and medicine is an impossibility there's no way to fight this medically she tells them that the only option they really do have is to bomb the infected and try to stop the spread, which we see that it worked in places like Boston, but it didn't work in a lot of other areas and they were overrun by the infected very, very quickly. Then after another fantastic rendition of the theme song and the intro, we get back to the present day where we see Ellie lying down on a little patch of nature in an abandoned building, almost like her own little Garden of Eden. We even see a little butterfly fly over her before the camera pulls out and reveals a reality she's surrounded by. There's a lot of butterfly symbology throughout the game and the show, and it's because it symbolizes rebirth, transformation, and hope. We see Joel and Tess are actually holding her at gunpoint, obviously paranoid after finding out that she's been bitten before. They're still waiting for the moment that she turns. They ask to see the bite mark and see that it's not getting worse, so they start questioning, you know, why would the fireflies harbor an infected kid? This is also the point where Tess starts to soften up. I think she realized that there is actually something special with this kid and that their mission is more than just for the battery in the truck now. This really could be the answer everyone is looking for. So when Ellie finally gets to go to the bathroom and leaves uh, Joel and Tess alone, um, you know, we see that Joel's hand is actually twitching, uh, which he quickly diagnoses as a hairline fracture from brutally beating a cop to death. And then the conversation turns right back to Ellie. The fact that she made it through the night is enough to convince Tess, but Joel is still skeptical. You know, he wants to take her back, even if it means that they will shoot her for being infected. It's gonna happen sooner or later. 
Now, when Ellie gets back, we we get to see how different they really eat. Joel is actually breaking apart the dirtiest piece of jerky I've ever seen. Looks like it tasted like cardboard. And Ellie pulls out a chicken sandwich with two slices of bread, which tells me that she's immune to the infected grain. Although I'm sure they've been able to make infection-free bread in the 20 years since. But it further cements the fact that she's immune to it all. Bites, spores, ingesting it. You know, I love the contrast here where she's in the light on the only patch of new grass and nature and they're both in the darkest huddled over in the old part of the building you know eating the crappy food you know this to me visually means that she's the new she's the the future uh, and they're stuck in the past they're stuck doing things the old way and she's a sign of of light and hope and and everything that they wish they could feel the, the symbolism here is phenomenal I, I love this shot now something about the fact that she was so well taken care of by the fireflies makes Tess question Ellie again about why she's so important. You know, the fact that she's eating something that would normally be reserved for rich, you know, well-to-do families in the QZ. Uh, and here is a 14-year-old infected girl eating it. So she asked her just straight up, why are you so important to Mar Marlene? And after a few more tries of pressuring she gives in and tells her that Tess originally told her not to tell anyone, but here we are, she's telling someone. She reveals that there's a firefly out west uh, with doctors working on a cure. They're hoping that by studying Ellie, they can come up with a way to save everyone. But Joel has heard this song and dance before. It never turns out to be anything. He wants to take her back. And this is where Tess shows her softer side. She convinces Joel to just finish it. Even if it's not real, they get what they want. As long as the fireflies think it's real. He finally gives in with the condition that if she as much as twitches. And then Ellie, of course, with her impeccable comedic timing, starts twitching and Tess has to slap into mom mode. She's basically keeping her alive at this point. I have a feeling that there's a lot about Tess that we never find out about. I feel like she was a mom at one point and maybe lost her child too. Maybe that's why she bonded with Joel. She definitely has a motherly vibe to her and nobody messes with Mama Bear. Yeah, well, so we'll see a few more motherly moments from Tess in this episode and I hope to get a deeper backstory to her in the show than what we got in the game. So then Ellie sees that Joel picks up his assault rifle and then she asks for a gun. Can I have a gun? Absolutely no. not. And you know, when you're a parent, uh, you want to protect your children so much, but by doing so, sometimes you end up protecting them too much and then they don't learn how to defend themselves. And we'll see that in this story. There will come a point in the story when she will need a gun and it would just be simple survival. But it, you know, it's nice to see the contrast here how both adults had the same reaction instinctively uh, to not let her have a gun. And, you know, this is where we actually jump into the core of the game, and, and that's uh, survival stealth aspect of the game. This is, you know, when all doubt is gone and they've made the decision to go through... Uh, with the mission, and now there's no place to go but forward. Now it's actually daytime, and Ellie has a chance to see the landscape in all its post-apocalyptic glory for the first time. Uh, here we see the contrast of the adults, you know, seeing devastation and destruction because they lived through it, and then Ellie comes along, and all she sees is beauty and, and how amazing this landscape is that not a lot of people get to see at this point. She gets to see how nature is just retaking back the landscape uh, that humans had ruled for a very long time, and now nature is kind of just creeping back and taking it all back. 
Now, normally in the game, there is Fedra soldiers uh, chasing you, so they actually have to run for cover, and they run into this slanted building, which uh, is, a, is a pretty big part of the, the story. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they're going to handle that without that scene, because in the show, they actually don't go into the building. From a realistic point of view, it, it probably wouldn't make sense to go into a building that's that, that decrepit and, and falling apart. Uh, but in the game, they do... They do, uh, and they, they do some fun things with the, the gravity of the game because it is slanted like that. So um, just a little upset that, that they kind of skipped over that part, but hopefully we'll get some of the same story elements uh, in, in the rest of the game. Now, as they make their way through the, the city, they can see all the destruction, all the devastation, and there's, there's a bunch of craters on the ground from where the bombs dropped, and Ellie kind of compares it to a fucked up moon uh, because it has these huge, gigantic craters in the ground. And, you know, we, we get to see what actually happened to the city uh, when, when the bombs started to drop. Now, the way that they age these sets is incredible. You know, it, it really does feel like something horrible happened long, long time ago, and, and here they are, you know, decades later coming back, and, and you can see the lack of human presence in this area. And these indoor sets are, are just absolutely incredible. They paid attention to every little detail, except the fact that the windows are are smashed because of the bomb, but the, the glasses on the table are, are intact. But, you know, I digress. Now, as they're walking through the city, we see a stuffed giraffe uh, that they walk by. And this is, uh, I don't know if they're going to make anything bigger out of this, but um, it was a few of the props that were in the game. Uh, for example, Sarah's room, Joel's daughter, she had a, a stuffed giraffe in her room. So this is kind of a nod to the game and, and just a reminder of where we are in time here. And I believe we're going to see uh, stuffed giraffes a few more times uh, throughout the story, but this is just a kind of a nod to um, the, the, the people that have played the game and know what, what the stuffed giraffe actually means. Now, this is a cool scene because it really does mirror the game as they walk along the street that's been overrun with nature. It, it almost looks like a linear pathway where you usually encounter, you know, Fedra soldiers in the game. Uh, I was watching some of the behind the scenes for this episode and they were talking about how in the game Fedra is a constant threat, even out here in the uh, unprotected parts of the city. But it made more sense that Fedra is at the city protecting it. They would have no real reason to make it out here uh, this far away from, from the QZ. So they made the decision to keep it wild out here and, and a great chance to introduce the next baddie, which is the clicker, which we'll see here in a few minutes minutes. Now here Ellie actually tells the story of how she got bit. Uh, she explains that she snuck into an old abandoned mall in the QZ. Tess kind of reminds her that it's the one that's boarded up and nobody's supposed to go into that one. Uh, so it's interesting because when when Tess asks her uh, if she went there alone, she hesitates for a split second and then she says, yeah, she was alone. You know, yeah, I was alone. Uh, so that's a, a that's a little nod to um, a little bit of backstory from Ellie. And I hope that we get to see that aspect of it in the show. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get a, a ton of backstory on, on all these characters, way more than we got in the game. So I'm really hoping that, that that little nod to the game pays off. Another nod to the game is their next set of questions. You know, Tess asks her if, if there's anyone coming for her, you know, either a mom, a dad, or a boyfriend. And her answers are... I'm an orphan and no, meaning no boyfriend. Uh, we'll have a lot more to say about that in later episodes, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just cool to see that they, they kind of drop those in there, those little hints, those little Easter eggs for people that are actually looking for them. So now it's turn for Ellie to ask the questions and she starts asking, why aren't there more infected out here? She had heard some stories back in the QZ where there were big swarms of them out in the open city and, uh, she had heard about some super infected that explode spores all over you and ones with their heads split open 
that can see in the dark like bats, uh, which are which are two of the baddies that are coming up. I'm assuming she's talking about the bloaters and the clickers. That noise is just freaking terrifying. Now, as they walk, you can actually hear in the background, there. there's either someone yelling or one of the infected is making a lot of noise in the background, but they, they kind of they stops them in their tracks. And Joel kind of slaps them back into reality and say, we got to keep moving, guys. You know, we can't just stay out here in the open. Now, this next part is cool because it's literally straight out of the game it, it, with lily pads and all. And this is also where we're reminded that Ellie can't swim. Uh, when they walk into the water, you can see Ellie's fear on her face you know in the game it, this comes into play because there are uh, a few spots where joel has to do the swimming and make way for ellie to get across somehow without going into the water uh you know by using pallets and and other items in the in the environment uh you know you have to help ellie kind of cross some of these areas with with some deep water but luckily here uh, the water is not too deep so she's able to waddle through this disgusting green water so you know with her being a kid she finds things to play with and you know pretend she she does a little bit of role playing where she kind of acts like she's a customer going to the hotel ringing the bell you know trying to check in and because she has lived her entire life in the QZ so she doesn't really know what any of this was like you know she mentions that she reads books and that's how she knows what a hotel is but you know she's never actually stepped foot in one because there isn't one in the qz so you know as she's playing around she rolls away a luggage cart and a skeleton comes floating out from behind it reminding everyone the reality of the situation that they're in and it kind of snaps every, everyone back to reality and joel kind of jumps into full dad mode with with his gun and after he realizes that it was nothing you know he kind of offers her his hand which is the same hand that he beat the cop with so it kind of symbolizes that those hands are to protect her so then after climbing some stairs you know Tess is out of breath and you can see that her age is is catching up with her and Ellie of course being the young child says you know it wasn't that bad which uh, accents their age difference between them you know she makes a comment about her old knees and and how she she can't move fast she used to and you know here we are with ellie a 14 year old that just kind of climbs up with no problem you know another nod to the game comes with uh you know some of the game mechanics that we had to use in the game was uh there were certain areas that were dead ends and they were only a little tiny spaces uh and then you know ellie would kind of crawl through find a way through and then you know, it, she would come back and, and get Joel and Tess. But um, here we kind of see that Tess is, is more of a motherly figure that she says, you know, if, if you die, we don't get nothing. We don't get anything. But I think deep down, she just, you know, she doesn't want to put a child in danger. So she, she goes up herself. And then, you know, after Tess makes the climb and, and is trying to find a way for everybody else to get through, it gives Joel and Ellie a chance to have a conversation and develop their relationship a little more. And you can see Joel is still, you know, cold as ice he sees her as nothing more than cargo uh she tries to get him to open up but after a few questions he shuts her down again you know he even lies about where he's from who knows what what are the lies he's he's telling just to kind of protect himself he's kind of closed himself off from the rest of the world and i i think it's because he he knows that when you get close to people and you lose them you know that that pain is almost unbearable and 
he had to go through that with his daughter and possibly his his ex wife. So he just he just shuts himself off and and just kind of dodges the question and and doesn't really give a straight answer because he he's afraid of of getting close to her and then losing her like he did you know his daughter. Now when she asked him about him and Tess, his past shut down any further questions about him. They inevitably change the topic to the infected. And this is where we learn that some last a few months, other a few decades. You know, Joel admits that he's killed quite a few of them. And then she says, what about the guy from last night? The guy that he beat to death. And, you know, before he can answer, Tess comes through with a passageway for them to get through and it kind of interrupts them. So they never really get to talk about that. And then as soon as they go through the passageway, it's revealed that the place that they need to go through, it has actually been overrun by the infected. Uh, Tess explains that people keep coming and getting infected. So the numbers grow a little bit each, each year um, and that they slowly siphon the population little by little every single year. And then something really interesting happens. Uh, I don't know if this is in the game or not but in in the show uh, as the clouds move of, above them it casts a shadow over the bodies and on, on the ground and as they're exposed to the sun they start to animate and making noise so you know they they obviously react to light then you know ellie realizes that they are interconnected and tess says uh they're more interconnected than anyone realizes uh she explains that they kind of grow uh, fibers underground and they use that to communicate over vast vast distances uh, and then she explains that if you step on a patch of cordyceps in one area it could wake up a dozen or more uh, somewhere else which we will see that a little bit later in the episode and you know when when she starts explaining this to her you could see that she has a softer expression on her face meaning she's she's kind of hopped into the mother role of this relationship here she's kind of being a mentor to her and and you know she feels like she's helping her not only stay alive but you know grow as a person uh and then I, I think this is when joel actually sees that uh, tess's motherly side and you know kind of realizes that you know they they're starting to see her as a surrogate daughter at this point because they're you know on this journey together and this is you know when joel sees that you know he starts to soften up a bit as well they have now survived over a day together and he sees tess taking more of an interest in ellie uh you know teaching her showing her things protecting her here you can almost feel the ice melting over joel's heart and and you know him kind of opening up to the possibility of feeling something for another person he's starting to see her more as a human and less of cargo and uh, you know i love the fact that tess reminds her that she might be immune to the infection but she's not immune to being ripped apart so she has to she has to stay vigilant and careful then we head to the museum uh joel actually gets an idea because he remembers that uh the museum might be a good place to go through without much uh interference from the infected and the fact that there are so many infected where they used to cross uh, means that they're going to have to find a different way. So he has this idea of going through the museum, which is great because museum is, is actually part of the game as well. Uh, it's one of my favorite places in the game. Now you can see that this place has been overtaken by the fungus and, you know, Joel breaks it apart, at least a piece of it. And uh, he realizes that it's been dry and dead for a while. So he thinks that it should be okay to go through the building. Uh, but before they go inside, you know, Ellie once again says, hey, I have a spare hand, kind of signaling that, that, she would like a gun to protect herself, and they both kind of shut her down again for a second time. I have a spare hand. Congratulations. 
Now, one thing I love about the game is that it, it builds the tension very slowly, which is what the show's doing as well. You know, as soon as they made it inside this building, my heart started to race because I know that creepy crawlies are in there. So I kind of brought some some PTSD flashbacks from the game. So then once inside, you know, Joel confirms that everything here is dead or cooked, as he put it. And then that's when Ellie finds the corpse on the ground. Uh, now, this corpse wasn't infected. Uh, it looks like it was clawed to death or something. The look that Joel and Tess give each other says it all. So, you know, they, they know exactly what did this, but they're trying to just figure out whether it happened outside and he walked in or if it happened inside. Uh, and then when Ellie tries to ask a question, they quiet her down. I don't think Ellie understood what, what the gravity of the situation at first because she just kept, kind of kept asking questions and they kept having to quiet her down. But they finally ask for silence. So from this point forward, they are completely silent. So, you know, they, they quietly creep further into the museum and they start climbing the stairs. And even though everyone is careful and not stepping on any of the corset patches on the ground, Ellie, of course, manages to completely crush a dry old human arm that was on the ground coming out of one of them. So she actually ends up waking up a group of them that was lying on the ground earlier getting a suntan. Now, this room is cool because it's taken almost directly from the game. Uh, the old glass cases, the old muskets, and the weapons from the past uh, that were displayed here. You know, even even the shot where they take the clicker through one of the, the glass cases is almost directly out of the game. And it just helps build the tension of, of what's about to happen here. Now, throughout this whole thing, the you know, the building has been making some creaking noises. Like it's, it's moving or if, if something's putting pressure on it, you know, it eventually... Part of the part of the ceiling collapses, kind of blocking them into this museum room. You know, they do that in the game also when they don't want you to go backwards in the game. You know, when they only want you to move forward, they kind of block off the where you came in to kind of trap you there. And it, it builds attention because now they can't leave, at least not through the way that they came in. Now, this is the part where it brought out my personal trauma from playing the game. When the clicker first makes it sounds to, you know, alert us that there's a clicker in this room, uh, I got flashbacks from the game. You know, I immediately instinctively reached out for my controller to see if I could kill this thing. But the sound effects just sell it. You know, they, they took the clicker sounds almost directly from the game and they enhanced them. Whenever you're you're watching the show with headphones, it feels like the clicker's right next to your ear. It's It's really eerie. And for those of you that haven't played the game, you know, these things have been taken over by the fungus so much that their face and their head starts to split and look like a mushroom, like a fungus. So, you know, the host loses sight completely and they they actually developed a way of seeing without eyes and that's by echolocation, which is the same thing that bats use. They just kind of make these clicks and then they can visualize, depending on how the sound bounces back to them, they can visualize uh, their environment. And, and that's how these things can actually see in the dark, which Ellie kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. And that's also why they're, these things are not affected by any of their flashlights. If you guys notice later on in the scene, uh, he does actually flash the flashlight right in the clicker's face and nothing really happens because it, it's the sound they can see, not, not the light. Now in the show, it's actually Ellie's small little gasp that the clicker sees and makes him turn around for the first time. And then you get to see this terrifying mushroom looking face of an infected that's been infected for quite some time. And you can see Joel takes a few shots and it, it doesn't really do anything. So the, the clicker kind of lunges at him. Uh, but you can also see that it's, it's kind of swinging his arms wildly. He can't really see where Joel is, even though he's right in front of him. So he's just kind of swinging his arms. And when he grabs on, he, he chokes and tries to bite and all that, but if, if there's no physical touch, 
uh, he's still depending on the sound. So you can see you can see that happening here by the arms just swinging wildly in the air, just trying to get him uh, however he can. Now in the game, because it is a stealth game, Joel actually can throw things and make noise somewhere else and kind of drive the clickers away from them, uh, which here is, is they actually display that when he knocks over the bust and it breaks the glass, it makes such a loud noise that it confuses the clicker and, and allows him to get away. But then as soon as Joel starts to reload his gun, the just the small noise of the bullets coming out of the gun actually alert the clicker, and he can actually hear that. So you'll see him start approaching slowly towards the small clinking of the bullets. That clicker noise is going to forever haunt my dreams. And Joel sees Ellie hiding and, and, you know, he quickly makes his way to her as the clicker approaches. She was kind of frozen in fear. She didn't know what to do. So she's by herself and he starts leading her away from the clicker when, unfortunately, he steps in a little bit of glass. As soon as it happens, you know, the clicker immediately turns and lunges on top of Joel. So you can see just the smallest little noise and they'll be able to see where you are. And because they can't see you, they just lunge at you, try to grab bite scratch and and do anything that it can while it has your location so when the clicker lunges it actually lunges on top of ellie and he immediately pops into dad mode and, and pulls the clicker off of her with the same hand that has the broken watch so it kind of reminds us that he's there to protect her then after two shots he's able to get free uh, but then as the clicker gets up and starts to come after them uh, Joel shoots it in the neck. After it falls, he just kind of empties out his entire clip on the clicker's head. Then we see the second clicker just running at them, just lunging at them because the firing of the gun has alerted him of where the noise is coming from. So he's just lunging. But you'll see that Joel immediately just pushes her out of the way. That's the fir his first instinct is just to push her out of the way. But before he can actually reach them, Tess comes out of nowhere and just sticks an axe on the side of his head. And you can see... After that happens, it actually affects his echolocation because he's just swinging his arms wildly, trying to reach anything. And even the clicks that he's making uh, it don't seem to help him at all because he seems a lot more blind than he normally is. So this axe to the face uh, actually blinded him. And then, you know, without hesitation, Joel just puts a rifle in its face and just blows the head off. They finally have a moment to breathe and, and kind of take in what just happened. They just killed two clickers. Uh, and this is when Tess reveals that she actually twisted her ankle in the scuffle, but she's okay. Ellie, however, reveals that she's been scratched or bitten. Uh, but, you know, she quickly reassures everyone that if anyone in the group were to be bitten, it's better that it was her and not the other two. So as soon as they make it to the roof of the building, uh, Tess starts limping and, and you know, kind of complaining that her ankle hurts. And Joel just jumps into dad mode and starts wrapping the ankle with tape. Uh, it's a little weird that he's using electrical tape, but maybe that's all he had. And he also gives Ellie a bandage for her, for her new wound on her arm. And then we get a mirror shot from from the game this is actually one of the things that they have to do once they reach the roof of certain buildings uh, joel has to find a plank and uh just make a, a bridge for them to walk across so this is this is actually straight out of the game now when she makes it across you can see that the the separation anxiety has already hit both of them especially joel uh when when your child gets a little bit too far away like if you guys are in a theme park or something you don't want your kids to wander off too far you you know you want to keep 
a close eye on them, make sure they're okay, make sure they're not doing something they're not supposed to. And Joel here displays that, you know, he's already feeling that anxiety of, you know, that you can't let anything happen to this girl. And, you know, I love how quickly they all became a family unit and they all fall into their respective roles. You know, Tess is definitely the mom of the group. She was teaching her things, trying to keep her alive. The dad is more the protector. The uh, Joel is definitely out to protect her and, and he's willing to go through quite a bit to keep her safe and alive. It's, you know, it's almost as if the couple has a newly adopted 14-year-old. This is when you can see in Tess's face that you know, she sees Joel for who he really is, is he's the protector. He's, he's the guy who without hesitation is there to take care of you, to help you, to get you through whatever it is you need to, to go through. And I think this is when she realizes that even though she's probably not going to be around too much longer, um, she's definitely sure that Ellie's in good hands with, with Joel. And, you know, you can see the love in her face here. She looks at him. I, I, there's a lot of love in that look. And then Joel, you know, he instinctively just starts talking about Ellie and how she's recently bitten again and how the first bite didn't take, but the second one might. And, you know, Tess just kind of brings him back to reality. It's like, you can't take a win. You, you can't just take this win and go with it. You know, we're all still alive. Just look at the positive. You know, looking back at the scene, knowing what's about to happen, it gives it a bigger meaning than the first time around. This is her basically knowing that she's not going to make it through, uh, but knowing that she's leaving Joel on the road to recovery himself. You know, the road of hope and a possible future that will be better for everyone that's left. Uh, seeing the glimpse of the real Joel gives her hope that everything's going to be okay after she's gone. So then we get the famous line from the game, Jury's still out. But man, you can't deny that for you. I love seeing Ellie's perspective here because she can see the beauty in the destruction and chaos. She's seeing this with a fresh set of eyes. It's all about perspective and how you choose to see the world. You can die in despair or you can choose to see the beauty and hope for the future. And just like in the game, you see the shiny yellow waypoint that points the way in the background. Now here, when Joel is left alone for a second, he glances at Ellie you know, climbing down the ladder, and then he glances at his broken watch. You know, he's starting to feel those same feelings that he felt for his daughter, and it feels weird to him. He's been so ice cold since his daughter died, but shutting everyone out was his way of self-preservation. You know, the trauma from that event has shut him off from making similar connections because of the pain of the loss he felt the first time. And here he's conflicted because he's starting to feel those same feelings again, and, but the watch reminds him of what that pain could bring him. To me, he decides that the pain is worth the sacrifice. You know, and in this moment, he's starting to have those same feelings. And I, I think he realized that, it, that it's worth the possibility of feeling that pain again. He has to become vulnerable again to feel love, to soften that icy heart and bring back the real Joel, the father, the protector. And then you can see uh, when they're walking towards the building, you see the urgency in Tess's walk. You know, she knows that her time is limited and is trying to get them both to safety as much as she can. She has the determined walk of a woman that's run out of time. Joel glances down at Ellie's covered wound, and I think at this point he realizes that she's not going to turn. She really is immune. So then they finally reach the building, and they realize that something is wrong because they've gotten way too close to the building without any resistance or any warning or anything like that. So they, they obviously know that something bad happened here so they get even closer they see a blue truck so then they kind of inspect it but they see there's dead bodies all around it and there's blood everywhere and then ellie of course sees the blood trail heading inside the building so there's obviously somebody still alive and there's obviously somebody that's gone into this building 
Tess decides to charge inside with Ellie, and Joel has to actually run after them. Everyone inside is also dead. You know, there's dead bodies everywhere, blood puddles, old equipment left behind. It looks like these guys were just slaughtered. So, of course, Ellie asks if Fedra killed them all. Uh, but Joel can see just by looking at the crime scene that one of them was actually bitten and the healthy ones shot the ones that were infected and they kind of just killed each other in, in a self-inflicted massacre. So then Tess just, you know, she knows that she's out of time completely. And I mean, they're all realizing that there's nothing here. And, you know, this is when it starts hitting them that their mission is actually over. Um, there's nobody here to help them. They're out here with no protection, no food, no truck, nothing. And you'll notice that when Joel says, you know, it, this is over, we need to go back home. And Tess snaps angrily and this says, this is not my home, uh, which could be a normal reaction for her because this isn't her home. But it also is probably the fact that she has been infected and this is just that the anger is already starting to bubble up inside her. Then she asked Ellie, you know, where were they taking you? What was the end goal here? And she said, you know, somewhere out west. She didn't really know exactly the place. You know, they were kind of hoping that these guys would uh, know what to do. Um, but now that they're gone, you know, their, their mission is kind of over. This is when Joel realizes that there, nothing will ever be as it was. Uh, there's no going back to Boston now. Then, you know, she kind of reveals to the group that she's going to be staying. Whatever happens, this is the end of the journey. And uh, Ellie quickly realizes that it's because of the fact that she's infected. You can see that Joel now sees her differently. He even twitches back when she goes to walk towards him. Uh, this is when she reveals that she had, in fact, been bitten by uh, one of the clickers. Uh, and you can see that it's already starting to spread. It's There's some bumps on her neck. You know, the, the, the teeth marks, everything around the teeth marks is is just turning red and, and swirly. And then she, she points out that Ellie was attacked at the exact same time and hers is perfectly fine. It's actually healed. Uh, when they actually show it, it, it looks like it's actually par partially healed already, uh, even though Tess's bite mark is, is just progressively getting worse and worse and worse. She points out that this is real. Her immunity is real. And you can see it. It's actually partially healed uh, as opposed to her neck that's not. So she she kind of makes a plea to his humanity. You know, like this. there's something real here. There's something special about this girl. And, and now that you know that I won't be making it past today, this is real. Like, this is something to fight for. This is something to finish. And, you know, it's too late for her, but the kid might actually save the rest of humanity, who whoever's left behind. And you can see her hand is shaking pretty wildly, indicating that her infection is just getting worse. Uh, while contrasting, you know, Ellie's hand, which is almost completely healed, and she's not shaking at all. So this is when she pleads for him to take her to Bill and Frank's. You know, that's their last option. They're people that they have been in communication with over the radio. And then, you know, she says that they will take her off of his hands uh, and they'll know what to do. Um, although she doesn't really know that for sure, but it's the last ditch effort to plead to his humanity to finish the, the, the mission uh, because it, she, she does realize that it is more important than everyone thought. And then, you know, she says something really interesting. She says, uh, I never ask you for anything, not to feel how I felt. And then she's kind of interrupted in the middle of that sentence. But, you know, that kind of stuck with me because that kind of tells me that maybe she wanted to be with Joel, but Joel was so ice cold and, and emotionally secluded from the rest of the world that 
he didn't let her in. And hopefully we'll we'll get a little bit of Tessa's backstory in, in future episodes. But I know she's she's a lot more interesting of a character in in the show than she was in the in the in the video game. So she makes him promise to keep her alive and set things right. You know, after everything they've been through, uh, she feels like she has to redeem herself somehow uh, to atone for all of her sins and everything that her and Joel have done together, which I'm assuming is is pretty horrible shit so this is her way of atoning for all of that and and you know making things right for the people who she leaves she's leaving behind so almost as if it's on cue one of the infected wakes up from the ground and joel immediately runs over without hesitation and puts a bullet in his head but then you know we see the same strands of fungus uh, come out of the ground and attach to the dead body which means that the rest of the fungus now know where they are so there, there's going to be another swarm of them coming then it cuts immediately to the swarm of infected waking up uh through the the vines in the ground so then joel just kind of hears them in the background and and he runs to the door and opens it and realizes that there's an there's an entire swarm coming their way. It's funny when when Tess asks how many are there, uh, his his response is all of them. You know, he sees the, uh, just this big swarm coming at them. So then Tess just kind of jumps right into the action. She starts dumping a lot of that fuel on the ground, and she starts dumping grenades and things that are explosive on the ground. And you can see Joel is kind of putting two and two together of how they're going to get out of here and and what. Tessa's idea really is, you know, she's going to go out with a bang. Uh, and this is different from the game because uh, when she stays behind, she's shot by Fedra soldiers uh, as a distraction from Joel and Ellie getting away. But in, in the show, she actually uses all of the explosives that are around them to sacrifice herself to keep Joel and Ellie safe. It's a more fitting death than the one in the game because she is a badass female character and I'm glad they gave her a noble death. And you can see the inner turmoil in Joel because he realizes that, you know, she really doesn't have that much time left. He doesn't want to lose her. He doesn't want to feel that pain of losing another loved one. But this is why he kept himself shut off, you know, so that he wouldn't feel that pain. But you can see he's he's struggling right now. He knows what needs to happen, but he, he just doesn't want to see it happen. And that uh, save who you can save line that, that she delivered there perfectly that that was directly from the game and it kind of sets him up as as a person going forward he he does realize that there is hope this world doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and he doesn't have to just worry about himself he is a protector and she wants him to save who he can save while he can so he you know he struggles a little bit internally but without too much hesitation he kind of grabs ellie and, and starts dragging her away uh almost like tearing off a band-aid you know he he knows that these are her last moments and and he doesn't want to be there to experience that that loss and that pain again. So he immediately grabs Ellie and just starts dragging her away uh, without even saying goodbye to Tess. And after they leave, Tess is seen very lonely. She is forced to face the fact that these are her last moments on Earth. And, you know, she's confident in the fact that she has set into motion uh, a series of events that she feels like she has fulfilled her purpose, uh, you know, to set things right and uh, atone for the shit her and Joel did. The sound design here is, is gorgeous. You know, the, if you're wearing headphones, you can hear the horde coming at you from every direction. And uh, Tess's face here uh, conveys the, an amount of fear that we've never seen from her. You know, she's always been the strong woman 
uh, lead, you know, always confident in, in her actions. But this is the first time that we see her vulnerable. It, this is her confronting the fact that she she is about to die. You know, and as the infected come in uh, and they, they start running by her, she she starts to flicker the lighter, uh, trying to light the, the gasoline. But she's so awestruck by the sight of these things that she's almost in shock and she stops flicking the, the lighter and she just seeing one so close and knowing that uh, it's it's your last few moments on earth. This, this is just uh, awe-inspiring. I, I love the fact that her last action as a human was to flick that lighter on. So her last act as a human being was one of selfless love and sacrifice. Now, as the building burns in the background, you can hear the screams of the infected dying as the camera kind of pans out and shows that the entire building is just completely engulfed. And this is when Ellie realizes how fast things can change out here, you know, how fate can be decided in a split second, and how Joel is her only chance of survival and companionship now. So she really has no choice but to continue on this journey. And that's actually where the storytellers decided to leave us for now. Uh, with the trio whittled down to a duo, uh, but not before planting the seeds of hope and love, especially in Joel, seeds that will grow and flourish throughout the story. And with that said, uh, we say goodbye to Tess, uh, the mother Ellie deserved. And so another episode of Blue Box Nerd comes to a close with a message of hope and a plea to like and subscribe for more deep dives like this one. We're going to put out a lot of content like this, and we would love to have you follow along on this epic journey with us. Uh, before we wrap things up, I just want to take a moment to talk to you, our listeners, our watchers. Uh, this podcast is a, a labor of love. Uh, for me and, and, and the crew here. And we're so grateful to have you along for the ride. Uh, in order for us to continue bringing you this kind of content, we need your support. Whether it's sharing the show with a friend, leaving us a rating or a review, or simply following us on social media. Every little bit helps reach more listeners and keep the show going strong. Uh, we've gotten off to a great, great start. And I'm hoping with a little bit more consistent schedule, things are going to pick up. And uh, we're, we're going to build a great community here. And, and we welcome you uh, to the ground floor of something great. Uh, so if you you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to see more in the future please consider supporting us in any way that you can all links are in the description below uh, your support means the world to us and it's what allows us to continue doing what we love uh, until next time this is anthony rivera signing out